0: at mikecrock.com forward slash book that's mike cro forward slash book go get yourself a copy and subscribe to the what are you made of podcast on itunes spotify or your favorite podcast platform if you like watching these it's available on youtube at my channel mike c-rock Scirocco. now enjoy the show Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Made Of with your boy, the unstoppable Mike Rock. I'm in the house today with a friend of mine from Clubhouse. I've been saying this a lot often, a lot lately, because of the people that I'm aligning with in Clubhouse. Clubhouse allows you to align with people that are on a similar mission to you. It's a t- basically a targeted platform where you, where you can go and find people that, that think like you. And that's who you want to hang out with anyway. So David Spizak is our guest today. He's the founder and CEO of Disruptive Growth Solutions, a boutique consulting and advisory firm. He created the industry's first retail automotive-focused think tank, developed and sold multiple software solutions, and serves as a trusted advisor to some of the industry's top dealers, groups, and tech companies. And also, I believe I read somewhere before that you were on a board of directors for the 49ers at one point. That is is true. 12 years. Yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing that. I'm a football fan, so
1: not a 49er fan. I've had a few lives, c rock. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, you know, uh, that happens, I, I guess you can be considered as a cat. Maybe <laughs> have you had nine yet?
1: No, I mean, man, I hope not. I hope not.
0: <laughs> well, you David, look, I, I, I want to welcome you to the show, but we always start the same way with the question. What are you made of?
1: <laughs> what you made of? <laughs> um, man, well, if you're talking about characteristics or attributes, um, you got to start off with humility because I really believe in humility. I really believe that some of the most successful people or most of the most successful people I've ever met, one of their core ingredients, if this is a recipe, is humility. Um, Second thing is I am insanely curious. And when I use the word insanely, Mike, it is, um, that's an understatement. I'm beyond insanely curious. And that has always driven me to have this insatiable desire to learn, to know, to discover, to investigate and so forth. And so that's really served me well. Third thing is I would consider myself a relentless human being. I just don't stop, keep my head down. And if obstacles come up of any variety, you know, I just know that as long as I keep my head down and I keep working, I keep focused on my goal, I'm, I'm not an if, as I say to a lot of people, I'm a when. I'm just a matter of time, no matter what goal I set, there's no question I will get there. It's just a matter of when. And, um, and so that would probably be the third main ingredient. And uh, the last one I'd have to say I have to throw in there is I kind of have a wicked sense of humor. I was that kid in school. I didn't have a lot of things going for me when I was little. I had a very tough childhood, a very tough start in life. And beyond that, I was always like the runt of the litter in every class. I was that guy. I was barely five feet tall on my tiptoes. When I was a freshman in high school, I was under 100 pounds. And yes, there's more. I had an eye patch. So I looked like a five foot tall pirate. Um, (laughs) And oh, wait, it gets better, bro. I was also a member of the chess club. So, I mean, I was like a lady magnet. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> save some for can. the rest of us. <laughs> so, I love that when they say that, <laughs> but you know, those, those things, uh, those things forged me. So in that period of time, I grew up to where, you know, by the grace of God, uh, he gave me a sense of humor and I've got one wicked sense of humor and I've used it my whole life. I used it to help me get past some hard times. I used it, used it in business and entrepreneurship. I've used it in leadership with people. And I even used it to become a professional comedian which a lot of people don't know. I, I was uh, a professional comedian for some time and um, I had a great time. It just wasn't a, a great way to, uh, to, uh, to be a dad, you know, for me anyways. Yeah. So, wow. I didn't
0: know all that about you. And that's why I bring people on this show. There's more, I mean, Mike. Wow. There's so much more, oh, well, well, we'll, you know, here's, I'll give yeah, you yeah, one. Keep it coming. Nobody keep knows. it flowing.
1: I'll give you one. Nobody knows uh, the people that work for me don't even know this. So, you know, the show wheel of fortune yeah yeah okay so pat sajak had the genius idea back when uh there was you know johnny carson show jay leno and arsenio hall had had received a show and this dude actually thought that he was so popular that he could go up against arsenio and uh jay leno and so he started look it up guys on wikipedia or google he started uh they they created a show for him the pat sajak show i don't think it lasted once i remember that
0: It was a complete
1: bomb. Well, guess what? That created a void where somebody had to take Pat Sajak's place. And so I actually was one of the finalists back then for Pat Sajak's position. I lost (laughs) to a dude named Rolf Benershka, who used to be a field goal kicker for the Chargers. And I just remember he wore – he was – Known for a couple of things. He was a great kicker, but he was known for somebody who overcame adversity. He had to wear one of those bags for, I don't know, he had some kind of an internal issue. So anyways, I lost to Rolf and uh, I was a little bummed out about that. But about three months later, Rolf was was out of a job because Pat got blown out of the late night circuit. And he went back to what he knows and what, what he's done phenomenally well since then, a Wheel of Fortune. So boom, there's something for you wow, that's man. never come out on any podcast. Wow,
0: that's awesome, man. And you know, something about you, it fits Clubhouse well, is your cadence, your tone. And it also reminds me, when you just said something about relentlessness, the way you talk and speak, it's not like you need to hurry up and get there. You, just, you know you're going to get there, and there's a, some sense of patience in you. Now, do you, have you recognized that you're a patient person? Overall, or are you a more impatient person? Because by the way, you speak, it's I'm going there. You can get in my way or try to get in my way, but I, and you just stay in your cadence. And it's, it's one thing I really am aware of people and pay attention to the way people speak. And uh, do you feel like you're a patient person overall?
1: Or, you know, that's an interesting question. And nobody's really asked me that before. My wife considers me a patient person. You know, I would say this I have in my entire life. I've always worked like I will not have tomorrow. I have this just incredible, maybe unreasonable amount of urgency about me. And I I always want to get things done now, do it now, do it now, do it now. And I am that guy. But with that being said, you know, as somebody who is devoted most of his life to working with people, training people, trying to uplift people, coach people, mentor people, you really can't be effective at that if you don't have, I guess, some degree of patience. So I guess I can't be surprised if, if you were to uh, assess that. And I would certainly say for the most part, in, in fact, I've had several people tell me, they've asked me, do you ever get mad? Uh, The answer, spoiler alert, (laughs) is yes, I get mad, man. I get mad, but I tend to internalize it. I also tend to sit on it for a minute. What I don't do is I don't like to react in the state of mad or anger. So I do get mad. I get frustrated. I've been disappointed more times than I can count. But, you know, I wait for the moment. I sit in it and, and I don't want it to own me. I've got to own it. So I guess in that sense, yeah, I probably have some degree of patience in me.
0: So it doesn't come through with the way you talk that you have a sense of urgency, but I know to be successful in the, in the, to have the accomplishments that you've had, there's definitely urgency built in. So I think that's a, I think that's a talent that to be able to uh, speak and share without people sensing that. So it, I Thank think it's you. pretty awesome. So humility, how about humility? Has that always been something that, that, that you had? Or is it something that you've developed over the years?
1: I think it's both. You know, when you get born in tough circumstances, you know, I was sharing with something, I was sharing something with somebody the other day, and I know this will resonate with you. You ever notice that when people have something that re, that's really exciting in their mind, something that happens, something that's great, man, they call everybody. You don't have to look for that person. They're always looking for you. They're looking to talk to anybody to tell yeah. them, this is great. This is great. This happened. That happened. I bought this. I'm going here. And you could tell when people are going through tough times, they disappear. You know, they get tired of telling the story about disappointment. Yeah. Uh, they get tired of telling the story about rejection, about the fact that somebody left them, somebody cheated on them, somebody hung them out to dry. It's exhausting. It's fatiguing. You know, the thing is, is that when I was young, I can't the only thing I could have bragged about is I had you know great brothers and sisters, and I had the best mom anybody could ever dream up, and that was you know to mitigate, to make up for the fact that everything else was just bad when it came to my father's side, was just bad on bad on bad. So I certainly came into this world with humility because my mother's full of humility, but I really do believe, Mike, that over the years, over the last 62 years I've been on this earth, that I certainly have come to appreciate humility in other people more and more. And I've always, the people I hang out with have attributes that I want to possess. And this is really important. A lot of people think, they presume that you should hang out with people that are more powerful than you, that are richer than you, that are smarter than you. And that's a grave error in my, in, in my humble opinion, because I've never been around any people. I'm sitting in front of two people right now on my team I learn from them every day. And so I have great humility when I'm around them because they are the two smartest people in the room. I'm the dumbest dude in the room when it comes to what they do, they're brilliant. So yeah, I I love humility in other people and it's always made me want to do what I can to do a better job of being humble myself.
0: So take
1: me back to when you were a kid, you know, where'd you grow up and what was it like? I grew up in San Francisco, California. I'm a Polexican, Mike. Being a Polexican is the byproduct of not having technology in the 50s. You know, we didn't have Tinder. We didn't have Match.com, We didn't have eHarmony. People just kind of bumped into people and, and you know, they kind of paired up. And so I'm Polish and Mexican and, and, um, and I was born in San Francisco, California. Um, I was born in what's referred to as the Mission District. It's the Latino area. My dad is a gringo. My mom is Hispanic. And unfortunately, my father was not comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable, meaning, you know, being a, a white guy, one of many in a Hispanic area. And so he insisted on us relocating down to the burbs called San Mateo, California. And so we moved into a little home. There were seven of us in a little home, small, small home. And we had two just total beater <laughs> I don't, I haven't thought about that in years. <laughs> Talking about like if I found pictures of these cars, you would laugh, man. Um, but we had a beater car, you know, and and we had we didn't have much. But we, you know, it's funny when you're a kid, you don't know what you don't know, man. If you yep. if you go to third world countries and spend time, and I've been with people that said, "Oh man, these poor people, they they don't have satellite, and they don't have this." I'm like, they don't even know what that is. Right. I said, yep. you know what else they don't have? They don't have bills you know they don't have stress you know they every day they go out and they see the sun and they just there's a dirt field and they go play you know soccer or football and it's all good so you know i grew up in in you know very humble circumstances life was very hard um back then my father was uh, the king of the narcissist he was brutal he was manipulative he was he was my introduction to terrorism and you know domestic violence and just Emotional terror and psychological, and and he just thrived on it. And um, so it was a very hard household for all of us kids, um, really hard. But my mom, like I said, was the antithesis. She was literally an angel on this earth, and she just had this quiet five feet tall, and she had this quiet confidence, this quiet conviction. And, you know, long story boring, the best thing that ever happened with respect to my father is. He sat all five of us down one time in his bedroom. We all sat on the bed and peered up at him. He was kind of, he was that, you know, big presence, dominant, big physical presence. And he looked down on us and he just simply said, yeah, I just wanted to let you guys know that I'm leaving you because you're cramping my style. That was his exact, his exact words. You're cramping my style. Wow. Turns out that marriage was in negatively impacting his dating life uh in his social life and anything else he wanted to do and he just saw us as six boat anchors and so that was the end of that you know my my brother sister and i were born boom 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 three years essentially in a row and then there was a a break for good behavior for my mom and then we had my sister and and then my brothers so the youngest one of us was born in 68 the oldest in 56 and so you know and for the most part we were always close and my mom Kind of made that that way but you know we it was just tough circumstances was not easy i got bused to a, a to the 90210 kind of high school it's called Hillsboro, uh which is the wealthiest area in northern california at the time and um and you knew what you weren't man you knew right, right. every day you knew what you didn't have so you know that my size the my eye my You know it's just a myriad of conditions that made my youth not exactly easy but with that being said you know my for some reason i had this irrational optimism back then for some reason when the phone rang i thought it was going to be good news i thought when i went to the mailbox somebody was going to mail us money every day you know i i don't know why i just had got this optimism from my mom and i think from my faith and that coupled with, you know, a decent personality and a wicked sense of humor, helped me get through high school with some good friends and taught me a lot of, a lot of good things that I learned in life. I went from there. College wasn't an option for us, for me. And so I, I was kind of just, you know, I had three different jobs, two of them in sales, but I was getting in trouble at night, partying and just, you know, being a bit of a uh, too much shenanigans. And so one day I pulled myself up by my collar and drove myself across the bay and I signed up to go into the military and I joined the Navy, which was an interesting experience. I got a lot out of it, but for somebody with my combination, my DNA for what I'm made of, it's not the easiest place to be, but I'm thankful for it. It turned out to be an amazing blessing. And from there I got out and within, holy cow, within a year of getting out, uh, let me see anyone. Nope. Within a year of getting out, I was engaged. Within a year and a half, I had a baby daughter. Four years later, a son, Elise and Trey, nicest humans you could ever meet. Unfortunately, that relationship didn't work out. No harm, no foul, no, you know, war of the roses kind of battle with two attorneys. We had a very easy, like the nicest divorce anybody can imagine. I even got like one of my favorite Hallmark cards I've ever gotten was a, a two-page card, handwritten by my ex-wife, telling me what what, what a, a tremendously nice husband I was, and, as, and she and I she handed that to me when our divorce was final. So it was a nice thing. I thought it was a nice sentiment. We've been friends ever since. And I really had no plans to remarry at that point. But then along came, you know, along came love. Along came my my dear wife. I had a first wife. And I'm now on my last wife. She's, she, is a, <laughs> yeah. my, she is the quintessential great partner. My first wife was a, you know, was a good mama and a good person, a good human. But this one, my wife is, a, my wife, Hania, is just an incredible fit. She's a great partner, great mom, phenomenal family, friends, humble, uh, great sense of humor, wickedly smart. She's just a very talented, badass physician, hospital-based physician. And I've been very blessed to now have fatherhood 2.0, which includes a a seven-year-old son named Jackson and a five-year-old named Jagger. I wanted to take a quick break here to remind you that my book, Rocket
0: Fuel, is available for sale now at mikecroc.com forward slash book. That's com forward slash book. Go get a copy and share it with your friends and family. It will change lives, guys. I will not let you down. Now back to the show. Yeah, that's right. I remember you talking about younger kids. (laughs) I'm like,
1: wow, my kids are 15 and nine. uh... I took off a good 27 years. So I got in some rest. (laughs) I rested up. I took some, uh, what do you call that stuff that you take at night? What do you call that stuff? You take at night to help you sleep. Um, Yeah. Melatonin. melatonin, I took some (laughs) melatonin for 27 years, chilled out, <laughs> um, and rested up, and then I reloaded, and now I've got these two incredible little boys that That's awesome. allow me to see the world through through their eyes, which is awesome.
0: Yeah, you know, I remember my kids are five or six years apart, and I remember going back to the second one when we had to go through the nighttime thing again, and that was like so difficult to go back into that. So I can't imagine the stretch that you had with that, man. So so. Let me ask you, um, so this is, uh, the timing couldn't be perfect. Today, we had a soft launch for Blueprinted, and it's my first tech company. I know you got into tech, Mm -hmm. but you were in the car business first, right? I was. And so how did you get into tech from the car business? Like, How did that work? Because I'm in the mortgage space too, the real estate, and that's not the vehicle that I want to continue on with as far as me personally, my career to expand. I'll still operate this business. Don't get me wrong. I have a great team, but I needed to play a bigger game. That was my thought and getting into this. And now I have two tech startups, not just one. So how, what was your transition? What caused
1: the transition? And then how did that go for you? It's a great question. I think it's a good, I think it's a good example, Mike, as, as you are with, when it comes to reinvention. You know, I think it's really important, regardless of age, doesn't matter if you're 18, 15, 25, 55, 75, reinvent, reinvent, reinvent. I had a very successful career in automotive. I spent 25 plus years in retail automotive. I did everything from the beginnings to um, dealer. I was able to generate a lot of income. I made a ton of money, had a great time but I started noticing things. I started noticing avoids voids in the industry. I was very much into technology, probably at a much uh, earlier time than most people were. I had my first computer in the early eighties, which if I described it to you, it's, it would be a joke, but I just became <laughs> fascinated with technology, with computers yeah. and with potential that you, that you could have using technology. So, you know, I started getting into data big time. Um, by the way, I haven't told you is, you know, that because I couldn't go to college. When I got out of college, my first—I mean, when I got out of the Navy, my first job required me to drive about fifty thousand miles a year. I didn't listen to music, Mike. I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder that I didn't get to have a college education, so I went out and found college courses on cassette and i just played college courses on cassette non-stop from college skills vocabulary to statistics to psychology human behavior behavioral dynamics you name it i Cold listened Indian and i space, studied yeah. relentlessly yeah. studied and i wanted to be able to face up and go head-to-head or conversationally head-to-head with anybody regardless of their background or education that's what drove me so if you fast forward you know, one of those things was tech. And so I noticed in the car business, as was even though I was having a great time, I was making a ton of money, there were some real opportunities that were not being filled in terms of technology. And so in 2007, myself and my partner started working on a project to bring big data to retail automotive. It hadn't been done before. And I had been studying data in automotive for at least 10 years before then. So we, we, took, we created a company in January of 08 called Reverse Risk, built out our first product. By the end of 09, I had a whopping eight clients. <laughs> eight clients. Eight clients. And by the way, Mike, I went, there's two times in my life where I was making a ton of money and I walked out. I left. I pulled a Dave Chappelle. With,
0: with no so other income time, source?
1: Yeah, first no other income source. First time I was 27, I had two kids. I had one kid, one on the way at 26. I was making 150 grand a year and I wanted to be a public speaker. I felt like that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be a public speaker and a trainer. And I had the opportunity to do some work with Brian Tracy and to, and to start a coaching company and I had 3 months, not quite 3 months of savings in the bank, 3 months enough to cover bills for 3 months and I walked out. Mm-hmm. No health insurance. <laughs> done. I kept Cobra. Done. That was it. And I mm-hmm. and I. It was a wow. big bold move. It was dangerous, but it worked out. And it and it ended up leading me to uh, ultimately to um, the opportunity to ultimately become the dealer at uh, Smythe Mercedes Benz Volvo. Where you know I went. I went from making 150 to making zero, to then getting back up over the 150 to taking a job. A few years later, uh, with this Mercedes store, making about the same 175 but within two years, doubling that to 340 And then within a few years after that, I was the, I was the dealer principal uh, and operator and president, and I was making well over seven figures, right? This kid with no college degree, the Polexican. And by the way, my high school advisor had said, Don't even bother with college, you're not going to amount to anything. Anyways. <laughs> So I uh, always wanted to track that lady down, but yeah, I let it go. Um, yeah. Thoroughly, I've <laughs> let it go. So, so anyways, I did this tech startup. I walked out from a seven figure job. And for the next two years, Mike, I rough, I made roughly $0, two kids in private school and I made $0 and see, people will think again, you were crazy. Well, was I, that turned into a company, you know, that is a nine figure company. So was I crazy? Well, let me, so. well
0: let, me, let me ask you a question on that point, because I'm in the mortgage space. I'm not going to walk away from mortgages right now. Um, I have 30 employees. Um, to me, they're my like, purpose when I get up in the morning to help and guide and elevate them. And I, and, I'm, and I use that money, obviously, to support my family and everything as we're doing the tech startup. But it has crossed my mind before. And I'm being just transparent with you. I'm haven't told. i sure I haven't told my team that. Like, What if I just said, you know what, man, I've done the mortgage thing for 20 some years. I just go all in.
1: Alexander but, the Great, baby.
0: I don't think, but I don't know that that's the responsible thing for, for the family. I, I don't, you know, that's what you know well, crosses that's, my that's mind. The, so
1: That's the tough thing. And everybody has to measure their level of their threshold, you know, for pain, for risk, for adversity. You know, I will say this, uh, and I give my ex-wife a lot of credit. When I wanted to do that, I literally went home from work one night and I said, listen, I really need to do this. And I'd been talking about it for a while. I need to do this, and I have no intention on failing. But if things went wrong, if everything went off the rails, if we lose our house, we lose the we lose everything. Are we cool? And she said yes, and I said (laughs) done. Remember saying this? Yeah, I remember the story. And I went and I went and I I quit off of that. The second time, you know, I was on my I was on my own, so I didn't have to have that conversation other than with me because I was obviously. The only breadwinner in the family. And I had two kids in college at that time. But I had that same conversation and I said, Yeah, I'm cool. So I went with it. But so I started it. And here's the key, Mike as you probably undoubtedly are learning, you don't have to know everything about tech. You don't have to know anything about tech. What you need to know is Are you solving a legitimate problem? And do you know how to do that? And how big is the audience? What's your total addressable market? What do you want this thing to look like and feel like? What's it going to do for your, for your client base? And then you hire people smarter than you to be able to figure out how to make that happen. And then when it comes down to it, once they build it, it's go time, right? Now you yep. launched it. Now yep. it's go time, brother, because yep. now it's time for you to get into revenue mode. Now, this is where it gets a little tricky. You know, you can't be a master to two different places. So- you know, it's, it's very tough to be able to split yourself and be able to have this organization here and have something here. So I don't, I can't tell you what to do. I, I would tell you probably a, maybe a good middle ground is find somebody to run the mortgage company. So I, I think
0: I'm a lot smarter than I think I am because I, when I'm listening and I, and I've heard you tell that story before too, but I've got my leadership team running the, the day-to-day of the mortgage and I spend maybe an hour a day in it.
1: Yeah. And then become I, the I, chairman I, of the board of that. Well,
0: company. I took. I, I took ownership in the tech and gave. The, and I didn't give it to them. They invested in the tech too. So now they have a vested interest. So they're cool with me being focused on this. And I spent an hour a day in that and they're cool with it. So I, I created this bond for us and it's in full alignment. But the other thing is, is that we launched this soft launch today, but I did a hundred thousand in revenue in the first two weeks that I started this idea using human ingenuity before the product was even done being developed. So you speak about go, go time somebody, our friend Grant Cardone talks about getting the market quick and go, go market your product before it's ready. Yep. And we did that and we have already started a community. You know, Our friend Jay Lissa is involved with it as well. She's got a blueprint. Um, but Good all this her. stuff came from listening to people like you, like Grant, and just spending time in Clubhouse with the right people. And so I, I'm so glad that you reinforced what you just said you know, with what we're doing. Hey, you just and, simply, uh,
1: hey, you just simply, listen, Elon Musk isn't running Tesla, right? Right. Bezos isn't running Amazon. So, yep. and the thing is, you can become the chairman of the board, which it sounds like you have appointed yourself to the chairman of the board and you have oversight. You touch it one hour a day and you put your heart and soul into Blueprint while your leadership team puts their heart and soul into what you guys have collectively built. It's a win-win the, and yep. you have a vested interest beyond that, it sounds like. So I think that you're very much on the right path and no pun intended, but I think you have a pretty (laughs) good blueprint, brother.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, look, I want to respect your time. It's 433 here on our East coast. I could talk to you for days, but I do have something that when I, when we hang up here, I'm going to, I want to just run by you real quick when we get offline. But before I do that, David, what's the vision for the future for you?
1: That's a really good question. So, you know, as you know, I do these group coaching calls every other week. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of giving back. My wife and I are both big philanthropists. We love giving back. I want to grow the philanthropy uh, side of our lives, and I want to continue to give back to mentor entrepreneurs. But I also have a very capitalistic Kevin O'Leary side of me <laughs> for people that watch Shark <laughs> Tank, right? I have that side of me. So I have six different tech products, different products in development right now, I've got one that's in beta now, a second one will go into the market in April, and I've got three more before the end of the year. I've got a partnership with Jay Abraham, the world's number one marketing expert. So Jay and I and uh, Brian Benstock from the car side, were partners in a learning management system, creating a platform called Jay Abraham Reimagined to help people exponentially grow their businesses that will get into the market in the next 60 days. I'm an advisor on for four different nine and 10 figure businesses. I'm an investor uh, and partner in everything from entertainment, blockchain. I've done uh, producing on a couple movies. I'm a, my wife and I are big investors in a nine figure restaurant business called the Michael Mina group. Uh, We're partners with Michael. We're uh, seated, we are the seed investors for the uh, biggest uh, black owned winery on the planet, McBride's Sisters Collection. They're absolutely killing it. Amazing product, amazing story. They're on one of my, or Andrea's on one of my podcasts. So I'm a busy guy, but most importantly, listen, I want to get as much as I can out of this life. In, and I don't choose how long I get to be here, but as long as I am here, I am dedicated to doing what I love to do, having a big impact. you know, as much as possible, greatest, to the greatest extent possible. And mostly I'm just super thankful to be uh, married to an incredible woman, incredible partner, best friend, and to be a father to four fantastic kids, to be a sibling to four, to be a son of a world-class mama, and um, just to try to put some good in this world.
0: Love it, David. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for coming and joining me and, and sharing your story and the ingredients that have gone into making you who you are today. Keep paving the way for people like myself, and I'm looking forward to developing our relationship, man. Because you are you are a uh, you're a role model, and I, I think, as, you, I I think am you know as well. that. well. Thank, I'm I, thankful you know. for
1: the connection and the relationship. Very thankful to a Clubhouse and our our friend Glenn Lundy for creating a space that nobody would have imagined 18 months ago. Yeah, But that has created the unimaginable in so many ways since then. So I'm yeah. thankful, Mike, look forward to staying connected, wishing you all the best with Blueprint and continued success with your mortgage business. Best to you and your family.
0: Thank you so much, David. And thank you guys for being here, listening, paying attention. Keep coming back. Thank you for the support. If you want to watch these, you can watch these on YouTube at Mike C-Rock Sirocco or subscribe to your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, be unstoppable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Are You Made Of? Be sure to check my website out at themikeserock.com, themikeserock with no K.com, and let us know how we can help you or your business reach its full potential. Feel free to leave a review or follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at MikeCerockShiraco. Again, thank you for joining me and see you guys on the next episode. I want to remind you that the Rocket Fuel Book is available at my website, Mike crock.com forward slash book that's mike c-r-o-c.com forward slash book go get yourself a copy thank you so much for your support and your listenership it means the world to me